The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's the spin! Right, this one is the one about the World Cup and I don't want anybody jinxing it for England, so... I'm really hoping for lots of chat about how good Australia are, how good India are, how good New Zealand are. I mean, really, anybody, anybody but England, um, I want talked up on this show. We've got the Guardian's cricket correspondent, Vic Marks, who is going to be in an extremely good mood because his team just won a Lord's One Day Cup final. Um, I mean, actually, to be fair, he's always in a good mood. He's a complete delight. So I'm looking forward to spending some time with him. Jeff Lemon is here. He's just flown in from Melbourne to cover Australia's games. It will be a great deal of fun to talk to him about Sandpaper Gate because he has pretty much written the book on it. I mean, I say pretty much. He has written the book on it, literally. It's called Steve Smith's Men Behind Australian Cricket's Fool. And it's already won two book awards and been nominated for another. And then we've got Sonali Shah, who is a fantastic TV presenter and a massive cricket fan and also covered the 2011 World Cup in India and Sri Lanka. So all in all, I think it's going to be a pretty good second show. Okay, you can let them in now. It's the... It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the spin! Welcome to The Spin. On today's World Cup preview, we shake our magic eight ball to find out who'll be the stars of the tournament and to find out if it's smarter than our guests. As a summer of explosive batting lifts off, we'll ask if there's such a thing as scoring too many runs. And as Australia beat England after their trip to Gallipoli, we charter Owen Morgan a bus for an inspirational day trip. It's the spin! I'm Emma John, and throughout this heady summer, I'll be here with a lineup that combines the deadly accuracy of the Guardian sporting analysts with the wicked spin of my favourite comedians, not to mention some big hitting guests who all love their cricket. So, who's around our oval table today? At Deep Extra Cover, we have Vic Marks, Guardian cricket correspondent, and a man who, according to his Crick Info profile, has no enemies. At third man, we've got Jeff Lemon, who wrote a book on Australia's sandpaper scandal and now has Vic Marks' share of enemies. And at fine leg, we have Sonali Shah, TV presenter, cricket fan, and definitively better dancer than Mark Ramprakash. We've also decided to keep our empty chair at Long On for Mike Atherton, and I am back at Cow Corner. Welcome, everyone, to the Guardian Oval. It's exciting to be here. Thanks. Vic, you've played a, at a few decent stadiums around the world. What, what do you make of our ground? Well, the pitch looks like it might turn. It's, it's very pale, biscuit-coloured. I would think you'd have to bat first. I like it. I like the fielders, too. Though. Yeah, the fielders are... Are these Cakes. Bakewell tarts or, or frangipanis? And I mean, TMS don't even do this. <laughs> Well, then we've started well. We like to start off with a loosener because we can't afford to lose any of you to injury before the tournament starts. So here is a question for everybody. What was the last sporting trophy you won? Sonali. This timing is impeccable because apart from a sprinting medal at primary school about 30 odd years ago, it was actually a couple of weeks ago at Lords. I played in a an all-star game for the Street Child Charity. Uh, they were playing uh, the Street Child Cricket World Cup finals there, and then they wanted a bunch of us to sort of fill in the gap, and we won. 
You it was amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Naomi Dittani was captaining and she was a very good captain, as she is for Middlesex. And they were very generous. They let me underarm bowl. I brought back underarm bowling to Lords. About time. Yeah. Did you make a contribution to the outcome? Um, I hit the winning run, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I got the winning run. But I mean, I came in very late. So, you know, everyone else did the hard work and then I came in and yeah. Took the glory. Yeah, took all the glory. Well it was done. an amazing day. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, what about you? Mercifully, I've got a fairly recent one as well. Back in March or February, um, I play in the Fitzroy Pub Cricket League in Melbourne, where there are about 16 pubs that all turn out against each other. Rules involve you must have a certain number of cans on the field at all times that kind of thing and they play a 10 over lightning knockout competition called the big day not out uh, and my side the, the mighty dan o'connell hotel got home through all of the cutthroat knockout rounds and took home our third premiership our former captain crashed his bike on the way home and smashed the trophy <gasps> which is a large wooden shield with a beer tap uh, coming out of it so well it used to it doesn't have that anymore vic what about you well mine's pretty recent too uh, 1983, <laughs> um, uh, where, when I won the man of the match, you know, NatWest final, which Somerset won. Or, as we were just chatting beforehand, I did help towards India's trophy in 1983 because I played in the semi-final and England played pretty abysmally. Uh, I was bowled by Capital Dev, didn't get any wickets. Uh, India went on to win the final and the whole nature of world cricket was changed. So I got two little trophies there to share with you. <laughs> Have you got a lifetime visa for that contribution? Well, no, it still takes me ages to get into India and I can't understand it. It didn't take you ages to get out. I know who you are, exactly. (laughs) Well, since this is the World Cup preview episode, I have got with us a literal, non-metaphorical Magic 8 ball. I've never seen a pink one. Uh, Yeah. It came from the gifts for her section of, oh, yes. of the store. All right. Of course, because women couldn't play billiards with a black ball. They would have to all be pink. I like to think that this is part of Paul trying to kind of reinvent itself for the 2020 hmm. generation. <laughs> Jazz it up. Make Paul sexy again. All right. There's only two balls, so the games are shorter. And I think they should make the pockets a bit bigger, don't you? <laughs> this sounds, Bring this them sounds in like some of the conversations yeah. that probably went in before the 100 was worked. Yeah. This yeah. is pool for people who don't enjoy pool. Anyway, let's let's move on. And women and children will understand it <laughs> much more easily. <laughs> let's start with some weekend reports because there was a lot of cricket over the bank holiday weekend. On Saturday, England were beaten by Australia in what I have since decided was a completely meaningless warm-up match <laughs> at Southampton. And the very same day, Somerset won their first trophy since 2005 at Lords, which had a great deal of meaning for Vic. Yesterday, well, not just me but carry on (laughs) (laughs) Uh, England beat Afghanistan at the Oval yesterday and there were several other World Cup warm-up fixtures some of which were abandoned to rain but before we get on to those Vic we do have to spend a little moment basking in Somerset's victory over Hampshire well I opted for the 11 aside game at Lords and it was uh, it was not a great game unless you were committed because it was a bit one-sided it was a little wasn't it although 245 someone said I had to get to win now in 1983 as recently as then <laughs> 245 was a big score but at Lords once they got underway 245 was just a mere trifle it was sort of knocked off without much tension it was weird because someone said have had this record of being Cinderella's and runners-up in their last 10 times, apparently, in about the last 10 years. And this time, for some reason, it was just painless. They just romped, played really well. 
it uh, must be really nice as a fan because obviously you are a, a journalist first and foremost but yes. as a Somerset man and uh, a committed fan it must be actually quite enjoyable to watch a game where there is no jeopardy and yes. you know you're going to well, win not from only, very early on not only as a fan Emma but also as a journalist because <laughs> <laughs> once the you know you can, you can set off fairly early and what you dread of course is a hat trick or a double hat trick <laughs> and the game suddenly turned on its face but uh, that didn't happen so yeah no it's a thoroughly day. enjoyable day but it's sort of meaningful one and the last one and ever to be played lords my my big point about that is it could well be the last 50 over game that the Overtons ever play Lewis Gregory ever plays all our good young players at Somerset or Tom Olsop they may never play another 50 over game in their lives a unless they get paid for England it's an odd situation for cricket to be yeah, in right now. It is. Odd covers a lot of bases. <laughs> odd is very gentle and generous in terms of adjectives you could employ. <laughs> On to the England games. England seem to have a perfect build-up to the World Cup against Pakistan. And then they had to play these extra two warm-up games and immediately... They started getting injured. Uh, my Google search history is now just Mark Wood ankle yep. for the last 48 hours. What's the latest on how they're doing? Do we know that everyone's safe, everyone's well? It was a bizarre, extraordinary game. I, I was trying to commentate it on radio and I thought I'd done fairly well in because you've got to know who's who in the field and so on. All right, I've got the 11 down. I know who's, who's where and who's doing what. They ended up using 15 in the field, not even the 15 that were in the squad because Owen Morgan didn't field because his finger was broken. So Paul Collingwood fielded, who's the fielding coach. Suddenly he's back at backward point. I'm like, is that Joe Root at Slip who is apparently not here because he had a family bereavement no that was scrapped he was dragged back into field everybody had a go they were going to play 11 but ended up playing 13 because two of the injured players came into bat at the end to try to get England over the line it was just chaos the whole way through Australia were resting three of their best players as well so the whole thing was a bit of a shambles and I wouldn't take it too seriously but it was fun it was fun Sonali did you manage to see any of the games I only listened to bits of it I think it's good that they maybe just got the chaos out of the way Mm. it's good that it's now but in another way I think it's that weird lead up time do you remember when you were doing exams a lot of people are doing exams right now where you kind of you know your stuff and you just want to get on with it it's that time it's almost like if these warm up games didn't happen it would be okay too and no one's making a really big effort I don't know why they ended up trying to get over the line does it really matter well no one wants to lose to Australia because you know we're terribly smug and pompous about it but there was no benefit in it for England that's what I didn't understand they were purring after that Pakistan series they were perfect they could have put their feet up Australia got a benefit out of playing that game and England got nothing England had done their preparation and they were a bit of a chore these games and and I suspect although I didn't see much of yesterday's game they just wanted to get it out of the way as quick as possible and let's get to Thursday when the real cricket starts and we all agonise because you always do it's the same before an Ashes series you pin oh look he's chipped a finger None of it really matters until Thursday when it does start to matter and then it will be really quite exciting. And the other teams probably needed more practice. They've, you know, climatised to England, etc. But I think probably they're desperate to get going as well now. It does make you wonder who these games were for. I mean, they, they were ICC stipulated games. but Were they uh, packed out stadiums? Are they packed they, out stadiums? They were playing to no. crowds of literally tens. Oh, really? Except well, they were, Southampton. They were Southampton 10,000. Australia, I, I England mean, had 
had 10,000 tickets yeah. sold, from what I understand, and there was a very good crowd in, and, you know, they enjoyed it. Um, they, Maybe it's meant to be part of actually getting people into the mood of... Yeah. Well, well we, we did wonder which, also whether it's a practice for the venues more than, well, more than for the team. That's I true, suspect too. So. And it was, I went to Bristol to see Afghanistan play Pakistan, and there weren't many people there, but there was quite a, a significant group of supporters from Afghanistan who were sort of building up to this tournament mm. and loving it and making lots of noise and getting quite excited. Um, I think once we get to the main tournament... Mm. And, and getting a win. I mean, they got a win, and that really matters for Afghanistan to say they've knocked off yeah. Pakistan, they've knocked off a, an established team, a previous World Cup champion, and they're right amongst the mix for, for this yeah, tournament. If everything goes right for Pakistan, right pitch, they play well, hmm. spinners can do their stuff, they could beat someone, but they'll, they, they'll be second favourites every match. Well, they looked incredibly fallible in their batting Yesterday, against yeah, England. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's all got to go right. What about Australia, Jeff? Because... Steve Smith scored a 100 at the Rose Bowl. What does that tell us and who needs to be in form for Australia to have a good tournament? I've been very amused the last couple of weeks by how much everybody in England wants to talk up Australia. <laughs> that natural streak of pessimism <laughs> won't go away. The most nervous I ever saw England cricket fans was in 2013 during the Ashes when England were 2-0 up and they were going, oh, I'm sure it all goes wrong from here. Um, <laughs> so this last couple of weeks has been similar. Sure, Australia won a warm-up and Steve Smith made a 100 and that's great but I just can't see Australia's setup working they've basically got the same player three times in Smith, Usman Khawaja and Sean Marsh they all play a sort of stroke making accumulation role they can make a hundred but they'll make a hundred off a hundred balls which won't necessarily push you to those big scores that you need to beat the really good sides and aside from Glenn Maxwell who's explosive they don't have any other real hitters down the order whereas teams like West Indies and England and even India have more firepower down the order batting wise so it's when you've got that opportunity to turn a 290 into a 340 Australia don't really have that reliably they need a, a performance out of the box to get that so I think they're relying a lot on their bowling to win them games and I just don't see it being enough. Wow so okay we're, we're talking down Australia already and then of course India. <laughs> well, no I'm not. <laughs> I, 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 got, I got jittered by them this weekend I think I think well, they're sort of may just peak at the right time. Well, I, That's I, what I keep hearing. I want to satisfy pessimism. Jeff's stereotype because <laughs> I think they're dangerous. Not, I agree with what he's saying about the batting, although, you know, Warner, Maxwell, if they fire, they can do damage. But what they have got that is potentially superior to England are two absolutely top draw pace bowlers in mm. Stark and Cummins yep. if they function. They, they have to win games on their own though, well, just about. We are going to probably start the tournament playing on flat pitches and we've all talked about England's batting which is terrific and it applies to one or two other teams but maybe, it may be that the quality of the bowling will be critical who's good enough to impose themselves on batsmen on flat pitches? Well, Australia are near the top of that list if not the top, if Stark especially if you get a little bit of swing. Cummins, who else have they got? Well, Nathan Lyon's been excellent through yeah, the middle. Yeah, but will and, they and play the it? Other. I don't know. I, Only if it turns probably actually. later in the anyway. tournament. But in terms of controlling the middle of an innings, yeah. he's been going at you know three or four and over a lot of the time through the middle part of a one-day. So if he can do that. But it still involves a lot of things having to go right. If, if opposing fans keep booing, I think it's actually helping them. That actually G's them on a little bit. It gives so. you something to push against. Yes. It, you know, resistance creates greater effort a lot of the time. 
Um, well, we must stop booing then. Yes. <laughs> we should ask you about the booing, Jeff, because not because I'm picking on you as, as an Australian, more because I'm picking on you as somebody who's he's, written the book about this. Uh, he's, he's an odd Australian because he just said, nah, they haven't got a chance. <laughs> they never say that. <laughs> Can we just recap a little and explain to any who really have had their heads stuck in the sand? Mm-hmm. Sand! Oh. Oh, there it goes for the last year. Uh, what they're getting booed for? If, if any former World War II soldiers have been on an abandoned atoll not realising the war was over for the last <laughs> 90 years, um, you meant explain the general sandpaper story? Yes. Okay, so March last year in Cape Town, the Australians were caught using sandpaper to abrade a cricket ball, which is ball tampering, which is very bad and not allowed, and nobody's ever ball tampered before in international cricket. So everybody was very excited about this and very upset because it was a slightly different kind of ball tampering to all the other kinds of ball tampering that happen all the time that we pretend don't happen because there's a convenient omerta that you know we all like to imagine that the sport we like is pure and oh we love reverse swing we just don't like to talk about how it happens so everybody got cross with the australians because the australians are historically an unlikable team put it that way and they got their comeuppance and it was thoroughly enjoyed by a lot of people in Australia as well who who've been frustrated with how this team has played over the last 20 years or so and the abrasiveness the unpleasantness that they bring to the field and and the new generation was sort of mimicking that and thinking they needed to do that because that's how Australia played rather than just being themselves and not being horrible so now they've reverted to mostly not being horrible which is a nice change Um, but everybody's still apparently cross about the sandpaper and so we should be booing them all 15 months later. According to a recent Cricket Australia report, Australians are actually now 74% less horrible. Yeah, 74% nicer. The, the, the numbers are in. <laughs> this is based on umpiring reports of um, code of conduct breaches in lower levels of cricket. So I have no idea how rubbery or reliable those numbers are. <laughs> well, but no. if you're putting a number on how nice you are, I'm not entirely sure that's quantifiable. Where's Crickviz when you need them? <laughs> <laughs> the niceometer. <laughs> yeah. So do we think Australia are just going to be on their absolute best behaviour all summer because they can't afford to put a foot wrong and it's going to be like the Banks children after Mary Poppins swept in. Pretty much. It's a historical legacy. They're carrying the weight of what they've done and what previous generations have done. So you often see someone like Virat Kohli get really fired up a wicket falls and he throws the ball on the ground or yells or runs around in a circle or does a bicycle with his legs in the air or something and people say they love his passion for the game and if Australians do that we say they're reverting back to type and being unpleasant. But it's not actually unfair because historically the Australians have been more unpleasant than anyone else. So they've got further to come in order to redeem themselves. To be completely fair, Stuart Broad got booed for an entire winter Mm. during the 2013-14 Ashes Tour because he hadn't walked in one game. So, I mean, Sonali, do you think cricket's more entertaining when there's a pantomime villain? There always needs to be, doesn't there? There always needs to be. And the crowd needs something to do, you know, in those drinks breaks and just, you know, it's when it's all a bit stop-starty. Can I just point out, they are no longer called drinks breaks. They are now called hydration intervals. Who's changed this? It's very important. Who's who's changed Uh, the word? Well, we're being paid by the syllable on radio now, so... (laughs) (laughs) But sorry, carry on. I don't know about the booing. I wouldn't boo someone. You wouldn't boo? No, I wouldn't get drunk. You wouldn't say... It's just not cricket. I don't think Marcus Stoinis chewing gum as he bowls is cricket, to be completely honest like, that's well, something I, I found very off-putting this weekend you, know, it's a, it's, you could swallow it easily you're really <laughs> putting a bit of effort in they're quite good the Aussies at taking the flag I remember when we had the um, walkabout I think they enjoy stuff. it I think remember they enjoy it which was built up into a mega thing 
David Warner again. And actually, to be fair to David Warner, he played when he was eventually allowed to play again. Manchester. Manchester. He gave a really good press conference, quite candid, quite open. And it deflated it a lot. And there was a bit of pantomime booing. But I think by the time we get to the Ashes, we're so used to seeing the Aussies floating around playing in the World Cup that I suspect that we'll go beyond that. I think, I think everyone, will, everyone will want their turn, though. That's yeah, the thing. If, you, if you've got tickets to day Birmingham three especially. At, at Headingley, it's your first chance to boo David Warner. You and I might be sick of it because we've seen it happen yeah, 50 so. times. But if that's your first chance to yell at him over the boundary line, there will be people what, who want to do it. What will be interesting from the Ashes' point of view is the first game's at Birmingham. That will mm. stand there. The Hollies. They like to get snuck in. Mm. The second game's at Lords. <laughs> and there should be, I think there'll be quite a contrast. <laughs> Before we move off this topic, um, is, has anybody got anything else they wanted to say about what we've learnt from the World Cup games around the country. No, you don't want to pay too much attention to these warm-up games, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it uh, really doesn't feel like anything started. No. no. But it so, will do Thursday. But at the moment... They don't even feel like proper warm-up games. In many well, they respects. haven't been proper games, but hmm. because you, know, you can have been play 12, 15. 13. Yeah. I mean, I did watch Africa. What I did get excited about, he didn't do very well yesterday, was the, the left-handed opening bat for Afghanistan. If oh. he happens to stay in... Hasratullah Zazai. Thank you. <laughs> is exciting. Yeah. Uh, he may not stay in for very long, but if he does, watch out. It doesn't and, mean and, very and long. And watch also, if he's fit, the wicketkeeper... What she's running between the wickets is fantastic too. It's the slowest on the circuit, I can tell you. As an opening combo, yeah, yeah. Mohamed Shazad and, and Hazratullah, they're Get at, their at, own the, time. at the opposite end in terms of age, but completely as one in terms of approach. It's just <laughs> thrash every possible thing. And if it comes off, it's, it's great theatre. The thing I noticed was that England have all had their World Cup haircuts. I don't know if you noticed that. Ben Stokes and Tom Curran in particular, they've clearly gone into the barber and said, not going to get back here for a while, just take it, <laughs> take it all off. <laughs> They've got that. You'd think that they'd have an in-house hairdresser as part of the team. You're right. Well, yeah. Well, he could, got everything else. Could fill in on the field as well. Yeah. <laughs> when they're a bit short. Yeah. Yeah. Hairdresser wanted. Good catcher. <laughs> essential. Well, I'm surprised a hairdresser isn't part of the entourage. You've got everything else nowadays. I've enjoyed the return of headbands to cricket as well with Adam Zamper and Carl Richardson. Steve Smith wears one while batting. So when he takes the helmet off, you can do the glamour shot. <laughs> but Adam Zamp has had the Alice band going you for a long wear time. When you're commentating, Jeff, I could have probably helped. I probably well, his, see the field of it. His yeah. headphones act as the Alice band. <laughs> this is going to be an intriguing World Cup. So if you want more of these kind of hot takes and expert analysis during the summer, don't forget to subscribe to the Spin wherever you get your podcasts, so you don't miss a single episode. We will be talking about Adam Zampa's hair a lot because that is a subject dear to my heart. It, it's, it's beautiful. The sight of him bouncing to the crease, it's, it's a, a Pantene commercial. <laughs> Other shampoos. Are, oh, no, we're not the BBC. Are we? Yes. we can use brand names. Say yes. whatever you want. Coca-Cola, Toyota. <laughs> it's the spin! 481 is a big number. It's also the current world record score in an ODI made by England against... Um, who was that, Jeff? Um, well, I remember it was at Trent Bridge, which is a very small ground. <laughs> I could hit a six at Trent Bridge. Um, yeah. So it doesn't really count, but yeah. But yes, it was against Australia. And uh, anyone following One Day Cricket over the past year will already be wondering if that figure is going to be surpassed in this tournament. The scorecards themselves have had to be redrawn in order to go all the way up to 500 because it's now believed that that's an attainable figure, not just for the England team, 
but for other big hitting teams like India, West Indies. How high do we think we can go? That's what I want to know from you guys. Vic, what's going to happen? Well, I think if they're going to break any records, it'll be early in the tournament because what happens, I think, is as you get towards the nitty-gritty, they're not quite so carefree. Well, certainly once you get to the semi-finals or you get to an equivalent knockout game towards the end of the qualifying bit, the tension comes in. The prospect of actually getting to a semi-final or a final starts to bear down on you. And you don't play in quite such a carefree, happy-go-lucky manner. And that's the big challenge for an English supporter. They've been fantastic. They've managed, through Owen Morgan, Trevor Bayliss, to change their outlook, to free themselves up, to express themselves. And it's been brilliant. The question we want to find out, and, and we probably will, is whether when it gets to that nitty-gritty semi-final, whether they can still play like that, or whether they should play like that. There'll be times where a bit of caginess is quite a good idea. So if we're going to break any records, I think it's going to be early in the tournament, before the sort of tension has come in, when the wickets are still sort of absolutely true and not been played on before. But once you get to the second half and into the knockout bit, you won't be having 480s. But well, they'll still be great games. You don't have to have <clears throat> a 480 to be... A, the best game I've ever seen of one-day cricket, the most thrilling game, was at Edgbaston in 1999. Semi-final, Australia against South Africa. Tied. Do you know what the total was? No, you don't, so I'll tell no. you. 213. And it was an epic game of cricket, I promise you. Epic. Snarly as a fan... Do you find big scoring games get boring after a certain while when people, it's just too easy to bat? No, I think they actually build up a lot of excitement. So I think if it's right and you see it early on, I actually think that will add to the the World Cup fever scenario, actually, because suddenly those big hits will make the highlights and those little highlights packages that people see on their smartphones. We shouldn't underestimate, actually, those kind of things doing the rounds to maybe bring people to starting to talk about cricket and actually that's how a lot of people will end up consuming the cricket is in those little bits of highlights so kind of any slow burners won't really work for you know a smartphone so I think it'll be good for the game of cricket if it happens as you say they will sort of batten down the hatches when they get nervous that's very very natural but how many games can you sort of afford to lose in the, well, in the early think, stages I you think can afford to lose if you were to win three every games. team plays nine yeah if you win six, six you you'll would, go should be in the exactly so actually there are some games There's where people will be able to take a few risks and they'll know and the crowd will g them up as well and I think it's game dependent I think a lot depends on Thursday and how England starts I think England will set off to playing the way they've been playing I mean they've been pretty consistently carefree and expressing themselves and I'm sure that's how they'll set off but if they hit a few problems the tension will will creep as Jeff mentioned Trent Bridge is the ground that holds not only the highest score it also holds the second highest score because as you say Jeff it's it's a pretty small ground and there are three games happening there over the next week West Indies versus Pakistan on Friday, England-Pakistan on Monday, Australia-West Indies on Thursday. And four of those 20 highest inning scores have been hit against the West Indies. So it feels like if it's going to happen, it could happen soon. This but also good. the West Indies can hit those kind of scores themselves I was going to say the West Indies days. might uh, ruin England's party of trying to make history with going, with yeah. breaking that 500 barrier. They might get there first. Uh, yeah. Well... If they do, England will knock him off. And, and this is the thing. Is More motivation. Big hitting is exciting in and of itself, but it's only really exciting if it's competitive. So another 
great one day it was also between Australia and South Africa when Australia made 434 and South Africa made 438 in Johannesburg in 2006 you know what's 872 runs in a one day international so that's a, a run fest but if one team had made 400 and the other was bowled out for 220 we'd barely remember it it's the competitiveness and that's the thing that's exciting about England is that they're a team that can concede 360 and then conceivably chase it which would have been seen as impossible a few years ago West Indies almost chased that 400 odd score back in February March when England were touring the West Indies so there is that capacity to chase the big scores but if you've just got one big score and then a collapse in the second innings it's not necessarily going to excite a lot of people. Do we think that they'll get to a point where the balance between bat and ball is is so much in favour of the bat that people start tinkering with the rules again to bring the scores down? There's always that temptation but The key thing that happened in the West Indies was after, earlier this year, was after a couple of 300, 400 games, then I think England were bowled out in about 22 overs or something like that by the West Indies and and knocked off, you know, 113 or whatever it was in no time. So if there's a bit of something in the pitch that was a lively, bouncy wicket and the West Indies bowled well on it and had a pace battery that took England apart, if there's something there for the bowlers, they can still win. They just need to have that little bit of assistance. Just to get you on the record, for our first prediction of this World Cup preview, do you think that the world record score is going to get broken? Vic, what do you think? No. (laughs) Well, 481, is that what it is? 481, correct. So my answer is no. Jeff? In that first week, so West Indies bat at Trent Bridge twice, England bat there once and Glenn Maxwell bats there once. I'm going to say yes. Great. Sonali? I think yes, 483. (laughs) <laughs> so I don't think 500 will be broken. Uh, let's ask the Magic 8 ball. Uh, can't say now. <laughs> it knows what side its bread is buttered. That is the most useless thing a predictor of the future could ever say. <laughs> it's, it's worse than that picture of Mike Atherton. <laughs> <laughs> do you think all this brilliant batting's getting boring? Or do you have any other thoughts you'd like to share? We'd love to hear from you. We're here all summer. And if you'd like to comment on or contribute to the podcast, you can email us at thespin at theguardian.com. Still to come, we'll find out where Jeff, Vic and Sonali would send the England team for a last-minute motivational day trip. But first, it's time for this short hydration interval. Googlies? Slog sweeps? Dibbly-dobbly bowlers? There are lots of reasons kids like cricket. It's fun to say, fun to play. It also keeps them moving, gets them talking and helps them focus. Which is why NatWest thinks everyone should have a chance to play. It partners with Chance to Shine, a cricket charity bringing the game to schools and communities across the country to give young people new skills, new experiences and more chances to use silly words. From the school kids turned brilliant bowlers to the city tape ball teams, NatWest has paired up with the Guardian Labs to tell more stories of making cricket a game for all. Read them at theguardian.com forward slash natwest-cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. This is The Spin, the brand new cricket podcast from The Guardian. I'm Emma John and my guests are Guardian cricket correspondent Vic Marks, Jeff Lemon, author of the MCC and Wisdom's Cricket Book of the Year, and TV presenter and cricket fan Sonali Shah. As a superstitious England fan, I am desperately uncomfortable with the fact that they are favourites to win the L Cup. So in an attempt to unjinx them, I'd like to spend some time talking about who are most likely to spoil their party. 
Sonali, who do you see as their biggest threat? Well, it's hard to look away from India only because of their ranking and just their history and who's on their team. I would be silly not to mention India, I think. Although, just having seen them over the past week, almost Australia were worrying me a bit more. But, you know, I'll stick with India. I think India could definitely spoil the party. They have a huge, huge fan base in this country. Most of them are made up of my family, Um, none of whom were born in India, incidentally. But, you know, that's just how the way it works. But I just think that they'll have the crowd behind them. They've got their fans are noisy. And I think I definitely put them in the top four semi-finalists. And I definitely think they could spoil England's party. But I do think, and don't take this as a jinx, I do think this is England's time, actually. And that doesn't sound like a very (laughs) typical statement from an England fan. But actually, I think this is their time. I think they have done the right things over the last four years. They... They made the changes they need to. It's a home tournament. I mean, I don't want to say it's theirs to lose, but it's, it really is their time and they can really, really do this. Jeff, please, anyone but England right now. I think she's right. There is a feeling... <laughs> oh, come on. No, there's a, honestly a feeling around that England team that they're resilient and they're confident and I feel like they've disconnected themselves from the shambles of the past. They don't mm. feel like they have any relationship to that long lineage of incredibly incompetent mishaps that have <laughs> befallen England over the course of several decades in one day cricket. I this just Owen feels Morgan's like a new at the breed. Of that. Yeah, you know, he's because had he's the Irish and he was able to bring something yeah, else in and say, we'll do it He's had the confidence to do it his way and take the time to do it his way. And after retaining the captaincy, he, you've, we've heard him talk over the past few days. You know, he wasn't afraid to miss that Bangladesh tour and kind of just have the courage of his convictions and that character trait I think is great for this team he's a, he's a leader the type of leader that they need it with all the talk about England I feel like there are certain teams that are just not getting talked about yep. a lot which includes New Zealand and South Africa is that fair yeah well South Africa are usually bracketed amongst the favourites and they will be really enjoying not being bracketed amongst the favourites. You can't be accused Uh, of choking if you're not a favourite. Exactly. Uh, So they won't do that. Um, And New Zealand are the perennial dark horses. I agree what everyone said about England. And I mean, England have been diabolical in World Cup since 1992, which is, you know... 30 years it hurt. Well... 27. Okay, yeah, if you like. And I'm terrible at predictions. I am very poor. So that always leads me in this instance to say Australia will win the World Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Because they've done it before and, you know, really... Well, they have done it five out of 11. It's amazing. Just odds on, statistically, you're safest. But I think West Indies are a team that no one's talked about. And I think, you know, they could be very dangerous. They've got such destructive power. They don't necessarily have the best bowling attack in the world, but they can make just about anything. They're huge, if nothing else. Yeah. They They could be dangerous, I think, in the sense of they could change the course of the event because they're going to have a couple of games where they take out people that they shouldn't otherwise. I don't think that means they're going to necessarily make the semis. All you have to do is scrape in and then you just need two good games. Yeah, I mean, that's what to Pakistan in 92. They were wafer thin from being out of the tournament. And I think it rained in Adelaide and then they started to win. But I think that Pakistan side of 92 was more gifted than this one. I mean, they had some terrific bowlers. But it does feel fairly tight, doesn't it? Yes, there are favourites, mm. but it feels like anything could happen. It's I, th- I think the, mm. I think the wooden spoon position is, is a hard position in a way. You, you know, naturally it would go to Afghanistan, you know, first time in the tournament. But A, they will... Second time, sorry. But I think they will capture so many people. I think they'll end up being a lot of people's second team. 
Uh, that's what I think, but I don't know if that's because I sort of feel a bit no, of a no, personal I think connection. Feels that. But whether that affection yes will turns into something turns into a yes. better performance, I'm not so sure. In no. fact, it's, it's Bangladesh that are looking like they might cause a few upsets. They've yeah. just beat West Indies three times in the They've last. They've got a lot of experience on their team. They definitely could do some damage. I think Bangladesh. They're well, a potential you know, I rather level. boringly think the f- semi-finalists are likely to be England, India, Australia. New Zealand? South Africa. Ah, oh, you're going oh, South Africa. New Zealand. Mm. Interesting. No, I think New Zealand are just so competent across the board that they'll qualify because they've got bowling, they've got batting, they've got everything that they need and they're no fuss and they just go about their business. I think Sri Lanka's the team that'll really struggle. They're a mess at the moment and they could easily finish right at the bottom if they don't get their act together. The New Zealand team was called the Bran Stark of the World Cup teams in the Guardians World Cup supplement on Saturday but I think that was written before the last episode of Game of Thrones aired so I think it may now actually be even more professional than it was meant to be. <laughs> the three-eyed raven has spoken. Yeah. Is it possible that the greatest pitfall for England could be the weather? Because a couple of games that that get affected by rain or, or abandoned could you know, easily turn things around in a tournament that's scheduled this way. Yeah, if you're looking at a tournament where you've got, say, five teams who would be in the weaker end and five at the top end, then... Those teams at the top have to get four wins. You know, if you have a couple of those games rained off, suddenly it can throw everything out. If you have a bad day and a loss where you shouldn't have it, then suddenly you can be struggling to qualify. I mean, the, the fear for the tournament actually will be if we get, because it's a long qualifying period, if you get to the end of June, beginning of July, there's still qualifying matches to be played, and too many of them are. Uh, we'll be broadcasting on them, I expect, uh, dead. That would be... Hopefully it won't happen like that, but it could do. Yeah. Who are the players who you're you're getting really excited about seeing? What what are the performances that you want to watch? Jeff? I want to see if Mitchell Stark can somehow do what Mitchell Stark did last time around, which he probably can't because 22 wickets at an average of about eight runs each and I think a strike rate of 17, one every 17 Wait, balls. I, I feel like this is exactly what this Magic 8 ball is for. Let's just... Let's just ask it. Can Mitchell Stark have another great tournament? Don't bet on it. Don't bet on it. Well, I don't bet on anything because I think betting is for chumps. Um, (laughs) And it's rather nice that the ICC don't have any sports betting partners, to use the parlance, because almost every other... um, organising sports body in the world does and they plaster their stadiums so we will be free of that which will be good um my player i always want to watch is glenn maxwell he does the things that you could never predict him doing even if you've been watching him for his entire career Uh, you will never know what he's about to do next so that's what i'll be spending my time doing sonali who are you looking forward to seeing i think joss butler i honestly uh, he's he's Definitely a favourite player of mine. Great to watch. Nice guy, as everyone says. But I just think it's that 500 marker. You know, if anyone's going to get there, it's him, really. I think he will dictate a lot of the mood, you know, a player like that. So I think from an England perspective, definitely Joss Butler. What about you, Vic? Well, I'll toss it Rashid Khan, who sort of conquered every country, not conquered, but is very familiar Mm. in just about every other country except England, where he's not played very much. And he is a a fantastic bowler and a great competitor too. So I'm looking forward to that, as with the left-handed opening batsman, who Jeff will remind me of. Hazratul Azaza. Yeah, if he happens to stay in for 10 overs, I'll watch him. So 
The bowling's pretty exciting. I mean, just as exciting as the the batting. The, yeah. The, well, the key thing about Stark could be critical, but will that white ball that he seemed to be using will it swing? Trent Bolt, I reckon, is the one who could well, clean up over if here. it swings. The white balls they've been using this summer, they don't seem to swing, which will make a huge difference. Mm. But Bolt is yes, he's a mini Stark, but a bit more consistent. And Jasper at Bummerer is going to be yeah, an I like exciting him too. Prospect. That straight arm swinging before he gets to the crease. And I like the fact where he's come from too. That's you know from nowhere originally, and he's terrific. Mm. And then possibly Coley. <laughs> I quite oh, like watching oh, him yeah. too. I can't believe we've got to this stage of this whole podcast. We haven't yet mentioned Virat Coley. I mean, we we should say such a big star that he is currently appearing in a spot commercial for well spots actually for, for <laughs> an a anti-spot commercial anti-spot commercial oh, I haven't seen that oh Vic you've got to see this that in Game of Thrones is on my list <laughs> <laughs> he's doing an R&B song with Rishabh Pant about a face wash brand that can stop you from having pimples when you're going out for a big night it's um, it's very dignified it's very good look for a, a national captain just it has it Rishabh Pant is the is answer to grow a beard so. yeah <laughs> Rishabh Pant's not in the squad no <laughs> Coley is fun. he's not like a lot of his predecessors in that he is so passionate overtly passionate and expressive when he's out there when he's when he's fielding when he's leading the side maybe occasionally when he's batting but um, and he's passionate about clean skin as well Vic well, let's not let's not forget that that's passionate I, I, I about thought the clear captain's skin. photo that came out uh, a few days ago was quite interesting you could really analyse the body language in that photo the way that Vera Kohli's sitting relaxed almost saying this is mine this is mine he's, he's doing the, the classic it's what's known as the man spread on yeah. Yeah, it was transport. definitely man-spreading. He's getting as much <laughs> aeration around the crotch area as possible. And then this the biggest, his biggest rival is sitting there like he's meeting his new fiancé's parents for the first time. You know, we've got the Pakistan <laughs> captain just like hands on knees almost. You know, the, the, the difference between those two captains and their body language was really, really interesting. Yeah, Safraz looks like he's, he's about to apply for a bank loan yeah. in that photo. <laughs> yeah. I'm learning so much. Game, game well, of man-spreads. I've never really... And Kane Williamson just looked up. He was just on the end, wasn't he? Well, he's just doing on the tube yeah. on the way back. Vic, please do not okay. practice man well, spreading. Nobody well, once Jeff told that. me what to do. It's an existing phenomenon that's uh, more okay. recently and had it, a name for it. And okay. it's not it's not a positive one. It's no, not it a not? positive one. Sorry, okay. Vic. No. Moving on. Australia stopped to visit Gallipoli on their way over to England. It is not the first time they've done this. Steve Waugh famously took his team there before the 2001 Ashes and they won 4-1. So it's been pretty effective as a motivational exercise in the past. Obviously, we are really, really down to the wire now, running out of time before the opening games on Friday. But we do want to give England every chance we can at this tournament. So where should we be sending them for inspiration? Should Owen Morgan be putting them in a minibus and driving them down to Hastings um, and educating them about King Harold? Sonali, what do you think? I don't think there's enough time for that. So my solution is... My family does not live that far from Lords. <laughs> so I think that they should just come and meet my big fat Asian family because one side you've got all the India fans that were never born in India. They just spent a bit of time studying there and a bit of time living there. They're all born in Uganda, Tanzania and Kenya, but huge India fans that will I think G them up. They will do all of the 
sledging that's needed, the pre-tournament sledging. And then on the other side, you've got someone like my mum, who's perfect before exams, who says, Beta, if you don't know it by now, you just never will. And then we'll take you out to the cinema. So I think you kind of will get the full compliment with the thousands in my family. I mean, I'll renew my vows and just set up an Asian wedding if they need. <laughs> but they kind of just, you know, just come around to mine. Come around to my house. This is fantastic. Come and, come and Open invitation. Can we all come yeah. to the bowery? I mean, if you like Indian well. food, I and mean, we just call it food, but if you like Indian food... <laughs> Come round, come Great, around. we're all there. They'll be set up, they'll be set up. <laughs> I think the England team should pop on a, a cheap early morning flight and go to Brussels, go to the seat of European <laughs> Parliament. And I think there they would be inspired by the feeling of being part of something bigger and more important, you know, being part of a, a proud nation that stands on its own, but also part of a broader international continental community that bands together and, and achieves something and has done since the travails of the Second World War. I think that's something that inspires all British people. And I think that would really get the blood pumping through their veins and, and make them want to go back with their EU captain to London and make sure that they lift the World Cup there. Great. It would be like £19 flats. I'm sure they'll be fine. I like the idea of Owen Morgan being conscripted out of the World Cup squad to sort out Brexit. He's sorted out so, so the other thing that's been got- haunting us for so long, which is our ODI team. He's a great leader. I mean, he's done a lot with England in the last four years. Just or maybe, think what he actually, could do with the we, House of Parliament. No, no, I've had another thought on this issue because we need Morgan's runs. So we'll just send Trevor Bayliss over to Brussels and see if he can sort it out yeah. by sitting there and listening quietly and saying a few words that no one hears and then job done. If you need Morgan's runs, does that make him the Irish backstop? Oh, oh, there it is. Well, I've always thought Niall O'Brien is the best Irish backstop. Oh. <laughs> Uh, but thank you. But I've got no great... I mean, in my day, to prepare for the Melbourne Test match as recently as 1983 after a numbing defeat, we all went to the bar and drank whiskey and ice cream, but I don't suppose they'll... You drank ice cream? Had it melted? <laughs> whiskey and ice cream. It was a Botham thing. An Irish whiskey? It was... I don't know. Both just kept ordering it and we kept <laughs> drinking it and we won by three runs at Melbourne. It's the... It's the... It's the... That's it for this episode, but we'll be back on Friday and the World Cup will be underway, so make sure you don't miss that or any of the episodes to come by hitting subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, it's thank you from our guests, Vic Marks, Jeff Lemon and Sonali Shah, and from our Magic 8-Ball, and see you next time. It's The Spin! The Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.